Welcome back, pod people, to another episode of Cinema de Mori. I am your hostess, Lexi, and with me I have... Justin! <laughs> Chuck. And we are on our third film of our random selection month. We've all just picked an interesting selection of films. And now we're on the last one, and we save the best for last, obviously. And that is Bullet Ballet. And Bullet Ballet, I'm going to say this guy's name and try not to butcher it, is done by Shinya Sukamoto. Sounds correct. Sukamoto. He uh, is known for Tetsuo the Iron Man. That's one of his biggest films that he's known for, which has sequels. Um, He's also known for Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. Yeah. And Tetsuo 3. Was he involved in three? Because I know I don't remember what that's yeah. called, though. I think it's like the the human gun the or something man. like that. Or yeah, the bullet man. Bullet yeah, man yeah. Right. Tetsuo the yeah. bullet man. Yeah, I've seen all of them except two. Funny enough, two's hard to find sometimes. Two's uh, fun. Two's pretty entertaining. Called the Adventures of like Denchu Cook or something. Coco, Denchu Coco, and it's actually like a precursor for Tetsu. It's a film that he made two years before and it's about a kid that has um an electrical pole just naturally out of his back and he built a time machine (laughs) that it sends him 25 (laughs) years into the future where he's got to face these uh vampires in the apocalypse that's not even weird for this director like that's pretty normal for him he's a an interesting director um I was saying when I was watching his movies, he feels like a person who went to film school, understands how a film should be made, and then intentionally like goes against the grain and does it completely the opposite of how you're supposed to do it. I thought like, he watched too much MTV, and then that's where he took his well style from. His, his stuff is really interesting. Like the thing is, is that uh, I got into. When I was in college is when me and my buddy started watching a lot of this kind of film, like these Japanese movies and stuff, because we were really big anime people, but we weren't really, it's hard to get, especially in the early nine, like in the nineties and stuff, it was really hard to get your hands on like Japanese films. So when he started going on like uh, discord, not discord, uh, it's like some kind of thing, like sort of similar to discord that was all like uses like linux code or something like that he was downloading like movies from there so we started watching like non-stop japanese films but we didn't really know a lot of the directors a lot of time like the only one we ever knew was um the guy who does that Kurosawa. no no takashi miike takashi miike thank you so we were watching a lot of takashi miike films and then there was just like the splicing in of other movies here and there and this was one of the movies i watched when i was in college and i fucking love this movie i was like really really into it and i really like tetsuo too and he, he shoots a lot of his films in black and white like it's a really common style for him and he uses like incredibly heavy contrasts and this came of the five that i've watched Two of them were black and white. Are they which ones? This one and Tetsu? Yep. Is that it? Okay. Tetsu 2 is in color. The Adventures of Denchu Kozo's color. And Tokyo Fist, which is amazing, is in color too. Yeah. 
I like his black and white stuff personally. Um, I'm not too super familiar. I, like I don't always know what I'm watching when I'm watching him sometimes. Um, but you he has love a, color. Don't lie to us. You're always talking I about love, color. I love color. But um, I, but I, I, I do like his black and white sometimes because I'm I see. I don't see my reds as strong, so I like at least I can see the contrast in black and white. <laughs> but then you you put a red light on when you record with us. Well, that's I his problem. He doesn't know that it's red. red. I can't see all <laughs> hu- all hues of red. He thinks that's a regular light that he's got on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is what that's I should have said, huh, Chuck? I should have been like, yeah. right. just a normal light. What are you talking about? Like, what are you guys no, talking red light. about? No, I, like, I've taken, taken the colorblind tests, and I'm a red-green colorblind, which doesn't make the most sense to me personally, but I'm, I'm not an eye doctor, so I don't know. But like the ones, the two colors that I have the hardest time person, if I were to say green and yellow, those will get confused. And then blue and purple, those will get confused. Those are the only two colors I mix up, but I can't see the fucking color blindness test for shit. That's but hopefully if I ever get to make something, it'll be like, you know, the neon demon or something. <laughs> those <be> glasses. <laughs> You know uh, the glasses, the glasses don't, don't always work. It depends on what no. type of colorblind you are. That's fair. I'll just be switching out my glasses between my seeing glasses, my sunglasses, <laughs> and my colorblind. You got to have like four different pairs of glasses with you at all times. I need to have the thing that's like the eye doctor where I can just switch the lens without <laughs> taking off the glasses. There's this video of Logan Paul when he first tries the the colorblind glasses and he's like sobbing and like making a big thing and they're playing all this dramatic music and no stuff. clue who that is you will you will next month you will <laughs> and then the month after that we'll forget about them geez grandpa you don't know who logan paul is you really don't know who logan i know who paul logan is? paul is i'd have not okay. watched. i he's the guy and it kind of relates to this he's the guy that went to japan and was like yeah. recording the the dead yeah. people. In the yeah, forest. that was his yeah. big thing. And he was very disrespectful over here too, like running around and being an asshole. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's what they think most Americans are like, and they're probably not wrong. <laughs> it's funny because I have the Tom Green Subway Monkey Hour when he goes to Japan and is Tom Green in Japan, and uh, he's somehow more respectful than Logan Paul. And I was like, he's being incredibly disrespectful at it, and I'm like, and he's still not as bad but so so back to the film film no uh, we're gonna talk about the we're this is the logan japan, paul podcast now logan paul he already has one it's called impulsive you, you think we can get him on our show never why <laughs> he's, What's he he's doing? too big he's in puerto rico actually right now he's involved in a massive crypto scam let's say probably hiding from people that want to kill him or something he's like well, he could do it remotely. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a remote setup. Yeah, we got no problem with that. As long as he doesn't get, as long as he doesn't give himself away man. like Andrew Tate or something. I mean, yeah, somebody <laughs> Hold on, my my pizza, pizza boxes that I got in Costa Rica. Let me let me just move these over here. Yeah, yeah it'll be like Tim's Pizza. That's only in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> Philip DeFranco can get him on. We can get him on for sure. So, who knows? <laughs> What is Bullet Ballet about? Bullet Ballet is about a man in Japan who wants a gun. 
and the process that he's trying to go through to get it. He wants it because he keeps getting like fucked with. So I think it's more of he just has a low social standing and no ability to stand up for himself. So he feels well, like what's the, the gun catalyst is the end for him all, wanting this gun. There's a reason why he starts going down that path. See, I think you're trying to say that he wants the gun because he gets mugged by those people. But that's not why. I think he was going earlier than that. Yeah, he wants the gun. He wants the gun right off the bat in the film. The whole movie is about him obsessing about the gun. And then he goes out into the alley and he deals with the the gang. And the gang beats him up. Have you seen the beginning of the movie? (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen the first five minutes of the movie? Well, okay. What do you think it is then? His, his, well, I, he says that his wife dying married. So I guess they'll take it up. Yeah. She shoots herself and he doesn't know, understand how she even got a gun to begin with. And he questions his entire relationship with her for the past 10 years or something like that. And that's kind of where things start because you would think the premise is going to be how more about his, well, well, fiance, we'll call it a fiance and how she got this gun and why she would have killed herself. But within maybe 10 minutes of the film, uh, once the gangs start to like intimidate him and <laughs> then he just becomes obsessed with obtaining a gun, which I, I do love the, the beginning of this film has one of the, one of my favorite, uh, intros of all time, which is, it's so depressingly sad about his uh, girlfriend killing herself, and he's just like looking at himself in the mirror, so depressed. And then it immediately kicks into the title card, and it's like, I'm just like, I'm just like, whoa, that was a real hard change of pace. And then immediately goes back to just like this boring guy whose wife died or girlfriend died, and he's such a sad, lonely guy. Games title card to it, where it's just like this mellow moment, and then the. You know, just immediately that hard rock, yeah, just starts blasting at you. That 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 like that was like the thing that like hit me so hard was just I was not prepared for it to just immediately start blasting rock at me at that moment. Yeah, so the the guy in Japan gets obsessed with trying to own a gun, which they can't own firearms. They can't. I don't think they can get them at all unless they're like hunting rifles or something like oh, that. Yeah, so they you can can't like get only get pistols. You can only have shotguns and rifles, and they have to be like of a certain. Like I think you can only have bolt action. There can't be any like semi-automatic or fully automatic at all. Um, and, and you absolutely have to keep going no... through that process like every couple years, yeah, every three but years. But this yeah. is another I... thing which you'll find all Japanese cinema goes back to World War Two. Right. And and after they were occupied by the United States and they took their guns away from them and they continued that tradition since. So Hang, it, handguns it's pretty are completely rare. banned there. They're completely banned and the only guns that the police have are twenty twos. So they don't even have a gun that can actually like kill kill. It's more like a stopping. Well you remember the Prime Minister uh Shinzo Abe from last July, July yeah, 2022. Shot. He was assassinated with a homemade gun, probably similar to like the one that yeah. the main character yeah. tries to construct in this film. Which is, yeah, that's such a that's a, that's a weird plot point to think of that uh, he's a guy trying to make one, and, and people are like, "That's ridiculous." And then it's like Prime Minister shot by a guy who makes homemade gun, and it's like, "Oh, I guess that is what they're doing over there." And that guy, when they got him, he was like. I don't hate him. 
You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, this is sent- yeah, this-, this movie also really reminds me of Taxi Driver, but if Travis Bickle had a harder time getting the gun. <laughs> yeah, if it was, yeah, that's yeah, this is this is the version that's not in America where it was just so easy to be like, I could just go to any store and just pick one of those up and uh go on my murder spree. I was gonna say they're gonna remake this movie in America and it's like, I want a gun, and he just gets up and goes to the store. Yeah. It's <laughs> like yeah, it's like then then it just says like end the title card, just like yeah. that was it. He's yeah. he he got it. He just, you know, he didn't even have to wait that long. It'll be like a dystopian future, like Robocop where just everyone has guns. Yeah. This movie also made me think of Stray Dog, because that's another Japanese film yeah. that deals with yeah. the fact that guns aren't a common thing for just people to have and that it's that's the biggest thing in the world that that the cop loses his gun and someone has it and everyone's like losing their minds about, Oh my God, there's a guy out there with a gun and people are just like freaking out that some unknown person has one in their possession. And they're all just going, they're obsessed about trying to get it back and figure out who's got it the whole time, which I do feel like, I don't want to say that doesn't translate, but it is, I feel like most, yeah, most Americans watch it are just like, I don't get it, man. Just go get a new one. Like, why are you so worried? It's just out there too. His early obsession with guns, and he's like looking at that magazine that just says "gun" on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just sitting on the subway, like, like, yep, that's what I, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, they could probably 3D print them now if they wanted to. I'm sure they've got yeah. 3D printers. They there. can. Have you seen the 3D printer guns? Have you yeah, seen any of that stuff? They're pretty insane. I have, but I'm just saying, in Japan, they probably it's much easier the only to, to make the only piece really that you. To can't print is like the locking pin or something there's like some part you have to pull out of a regular gun to be able to use them they're already illegal here the guy who made that i kind of like him a little bit he's a bit of an asshole but like i liked his logic in it because it's just about creating anarchy that was his whole purpose behind it this movie is interesting because it's uniquely japanese this is not a story that functions outside of japan because it's all based around like the culture that they have around guns and how they kind of view them and stuff. So even the gangs don't even have guns. They have to have cool ass. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like actually it's, it's, and... it's probably worse in the fact that this movie probably plays to almost everywhere other than America. Like, cause that's, this is, this is even like the same yeah. thing in like the UK. Yeah. They can't have them. It's like, it's like there's so many countries where they're so limited on what they can what they can get and it's just like it's like i feel like it, it even more than being specifically japanese it's just like everywhere other than america people would right. find this I to be like to oh yeah that's a that's a normal gun, thing no problem no, ba- no background check yeah yeah well it is it, it is unique japan is i think they have the strictest gun laws in the world if i'm not mistaken like they have theirs are like over the top because they They're like pretty strict anything yeah the UK is very close though, because I know they're the same way. Like you can only have hunting rifles. Like you yeah. getting a handgun in the UK is like insanely difficult. Which you can you can get them, but only when they're considered like collectibles. And they've right. had things like they've had like a guy with a couple years ago with a knife that I think I don't even know if he killed anybody, but he attacked like he got like eight people. And it makes me think of Chris Rock. He had I think it was Chris Rock. He had a thing on Netflix. A tambourine i think it was that special okay yeah but he was ta- he was talking about like gun violence and somebody with a knife <laughs> and he's like he's like if you have a hundred people there and the guy has a knife by the time the like third person gets stabbed everyone else is gonna be like oh shit that guy, <laughs> that guy has a knife <laughs> 
maybe I should run or maybe we can take him as opposed to like the, you know, the gun, the gun that could take out a hundred people in a minute. Right. Not really funny. That was an uncomfortable <laughs> laugh. But yeah, I like the internet searches. I like the gun magazine. What I'm picking up on is this director, Sukamoto, he likes to go, get into like the, um, the regressions for sure. It's all the things that they like the the movie before this one, Tokyo Fists. It, it it's just like this rage and them acting out because they they don't they don't react to anything. They keep themselves pretty sterile when they're out in public. Like I've seen movies with them. I've been to rock shows with them. They they basically observe without showing any sort of emotion whatsoever. So Maybe that's why the guy shot the prime minister. He's like, I just wanted to feel something different. Maybe. So one thing with this director is uh, I feel like you have to watch his movies more than once to kind of know what the hell they're about. Tetsuo the Iron Man, I've watched it so many times. Like, I don't even have a count on how many times. It's one of my favorite movies. But it took me a long time to really, like, get the plot of that film and really understand what's going on. This is a much more grounded in reality film from this director. Like... A lot of his stuff is very like extreme and absurd in its presentation. And I feel like this one has a lot more like realism to it in the way that it's done and what have you. So I feel like it's as more grounded in reality film. It doesn't stop it from being disjointed and strange. And I think that quality sometimes makes the story hard to follow a little bit. Some like spots here and there. Because you guys brought up some stuff and I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. I do think it is a little hard to follow because... It kind of seems to meander and I mean, it makes a lot of sense when he's trying to obtain a gun. Yeah, and I'd then agree it gets a little convoluted there in the middle, I think. I feel like they want me to know more about the gang and want me to spend more time with the leader of the gang or the guy with the sideburns. I don't know if he's the leader of the gang or not, but you learn like halfway into the film that he's actually like a salary man so he goes out and beats up these salary men and stuff but he does the same thing as them. my favorite character and he gets kind of caught in that moment when he sees the girl seeing him like coming out in the suit but then they never really like do much more with that just kind of implying that he's a hypocrite in a lot of ways i love that he has that job and he just just him just him with those it. sideburns in the suit and like, no, has, the, like does no anyone in his office just go just just God, that guy in his like, sideburns yeah most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He's that's why he's my favorite character. He's I all sideburns. He, he finally has that confrontation. The, the first confrontation he has with that guy in the alley, and he turns around with the gun and he shoots him in the leg, and he's just like in shock. <laughs> and then he says, "That really hurt." Yeah. And he's beating shit out of him. <laughs> that's a great gun, scene like, too. Like how he like shoots him and like they're all taken aback for a second because it's like the guy's got a gun but it's like a completely non-functional gun i love when he makes that too like i like how because airsoft like even though they don't have guns in japan airsoft is huge there because they don't have guns so there's a lot of replica guns all over the place and there's a big culture around that and so it's easy to get parts to kind of build a gun essentially like in a lot of ways because a lot there's a lot of crossover pieces you can use with the airsoft stuff what have you but i think the part that would be you think would be the easiest but actually be the most difficult would be getting the bullets for it especially there 
you'd have to cast them. Like you would have to have the you had to make to the like bullets. Smelt metal and then cast the, the bullets to if the kid can do it in the Monster Squad, I think a grown adult can do they it had in a, Japan. They had a machine shop in Monster Squad. Like they had access to like a lot of machinery in that movie. It was high school. There you go. <laughs> if he had access to a high school, school, I can't even remember. If he had access to a high school machine shop, then maybe he get some better made bullets instead of building them in his. <laughs> yeah, you could pour bolt. You could pour pour some silver bullets. If I you mean, I was watching do. him make that bullet, and I was like, "That's a BB held on with wax." So I was like, "How's that going to be effective?" <laughs> So, so he put gunpowder in there. It's a BB held on with wax. I'm like, it, it's no matter how much force is behind (laughs) it. I mean, unless you hit just right. Well, maybe that's why it didn't didn't work. work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like it probably would have worked if he had had like bullets because his his design wasn't flawed. That's 100% why it didn't work in the right spot. The gun fired. So he finally gets the gun and he's like bullets. I don't have bullets. Fuck. There's only half half a mil for uh, some bullets. The the emotions in this movie are so well um, portrayed visually that like the guy is so like distraught by how little he has access to the gun, and it's like all he can think about. And everybody around him is just like being normal, and this guy's just like, yeah, no, I can't, I can't function. Like I can't do anything. I can't even do my own job. And then it's the joy when he acquires the gun. That's like one of my favorite sequences in the whole film. Like when he goes home and he unwraps the the gun and he's just in his apartment and he's like, oh, and it's like these scenes of him, like just sticking his arm out and like holding it against his face and like rubbing it all over his body in a state of ecstasy. And he's just so overcome with the joy. Sukamoto is one of the horniest directors I've ever seen. Easily. The five movie, the first five movies of his that I've watched, like all day, extremely, extremely, absolutely, repressed. extremely. I mean, Tetsuo the Iron Man is probably one of the horniest <laughs> movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg, right. if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's just the, t- the greatest sequence in that movie is the penis drill. Just like, the hands tip. down. It isn't even the greatest sequence. It's it's maybe the most shocking part of it, but yeah, I, I don't know. He chases her around with a thing like Freddy Krueger, <laughs> and then after she thinks he's dead, she gets on it to kill herself. Yeah, that's a whole different other movie. We'll talk about that one day. Is that a pun? Yeah. A whole different? This guy does like just nothing but quick cuts. It's all he does is like quick cut, quick cut, quick cut. It's all his movies are, just these like endless quick cuts. And they're all, they all utilize like, it's kind of like when we were talking about like, it's interesting how um, Chuck's directors that he picked when we were learning about them, he was explaining like these guys do a lot of odd practical choices. Like the idea that they rotoscoped the scenes instead of like doing them with CG and doing those sorts of things. Like I feel like this director is very much in the same boat, but like on a high art level, they're very comparable in the way that they do everything too for the movies. He's the protagonist of this movie. I think he shoots this movie edits yeah. his movie like he's incredibly hands-on with these things and then it's, he probably did the music he, edited he, uses a it, he wrote it, stop directed motion, it but like in an unconventional stop motion way too like going back to tetsuo with the whole like last 15 minutes of that film is just stop motion but it's all done with like real people and real stills in the beginning of that movie it says something like human-sized kaiju or something human-sized monsters yeah. 
So he he's really good at utilizing these sort of out there techniques to achieve like these really interesting, intriguing looking effects. And even though he's shooting in black and white, I was going to say before, his contrasts are like turned way up. So even though it's a black and white movie, like the contrasts are just like the whites are really, really white and the blacks are like really, really hard. And there are entire parts in the film where you won't see anything except like maybe the half of someone's face or something like that. Like it, it's a, it's really interesting choices. The only other person I really can think of who's used like heavy contrast in the black and white is Arnofsky and Pi. I didn't think the contrast was too, too strong in this. I didn't think it was that intense. I think it is. I think, well, I think it's, it definitely makes everything look dirty. Like that's, that's the other thing I feel like between Tetsuo and this, in this film, it's like he makes, he makes Tokyo yeah, he look like the dirtiest place you've ever seen somehow. Like everything looks disgustingly gross. Just, and I think it is partially just because of the contrast being like you were saying, how it makes everything, everything in shadow is so black and dark Yeah, that it just looks yeah. like it's covered in something like it's covered in oil. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's one of the cleanest cities in the entire world <laughs> and it does, it looks grungy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, that's, that's how, yeah, he's like, he's one of the few directors that I feel like makes it look that way. Like every, I feel like every other movie you watch that's set in Japan and Tokyo specifically. Yeah. Everything looks like it looks like a very clean, happy utopia. And he's just like, actually it's yeah. pretty filthy, gross place. Sometimes like, like he shows like that other, well, you see that other side of it. Uh, and he shows a, a lot of, yeah. Like, yeah. Wait till you get to that. Movies. Like there's a lot of like garbage dumps and like, there's, there's an industrial. He definitely has like a David yeah, Lynch eraser head stuff. vibe. Yeah. Every one of his movies in some way or another has like pipes and like steam and those are always integral pieces to this director. This one really made me think of Cronenberg more, made me think of Crash. Like this guy was so horny for firearms and it was the same sort of kind of like tragedy that pushed him down that road as the car accident and Crash. It's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, like you said, he's rubbing the gun all over oh. his body. It's the equivalent <laughs> so of them, like, oh, this like, car. So he, every time hot. he has the gun, he has to rub it all over himself. And he, like, <laughs> puts it in his mouth a bunch. And he's always, like, being very, like, I guess very phallic with it in a lot of ways. Um, I, I love when he has, before he acquires the gun, and he's looking at the picture of the what is it the something special chief special, chief special. On, on on the computer and he's just staring at the picture and like you hear like the explosion sound and it shows like a bomb going off and then it goes back to the gun and you hear like another like explosion and it's like he's just fantasizing about this gun and like the power that it contains and every time it goes off like an atomic bomb goes off and like something else like like a city of people are being like destroyed or like a military scene or something like that like right the sound design is really great in this movie i think it might honestly be the best part of the movie yeah because it's always like so loud when he's messing with the gun and then they're like talking like this and he's like cocking the gun and like when he's building the gun it's so yeah. loud he does he, he really in all of his films he really turns those mechanical sounds up and really like exacerbates them. Another thing that I really like is Japan uses that one gun noise. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's almost like that sound that they like 
use they use an anime all the time whatever it's like the japanese wilhelm scream of like gun noises and it's like in all of their movies like he uses that sound in all of his movies too so like every time you see a like hear a gun sequence or whatever it's always that like blast with the whistle behind it kind of thing like you'll have to add it into the podcast (laughs) yeah yeah throw it in exactly where you say you know that sound and just put that sound in there yeah we'll see i'm not a good editor uh um yeah as shittily as you have to shove it in there in there just like cram it right in there in a bad way you're like recording the television (laughs) with your phone whatever works uh um but yeah this is the this is like the kind of film that i want to make like i don't want to copy this guy's style but like this is my kind of filmmaking like this really like short disjointed rapid fire a lot of like heavy contrast with even with his color stuff i've seen because i've seen a couple of his color things there's heavy contrast with the use of his colors too like he washes them out or like they have a quality almost like about like them like about VAD video, like VAD VHS from back in the day when the colors would kind of start washing out on some of them. You know what I mean? So it's like even though he yes. uses them, it's almost like he uses color in like an, a, an interesting and unique kind of way. Like whatever it is, whatever his visual medium is, he's always like boosting all of his contrast. All of his contrast on all of his films is just jacked. And it gives it this really unique quality because it washes some stuff out and it really darkens and heavies other things like that. And it adds to the tones that his films have, which are these just heavy, disjointed and filthy qualities. They're very filthy movies. Yeah, it has like this punk rock industrial neo-noir film. It's like Nine Inch Nails. And he is like his editing is his editing is really fun. I think this movie, though, like does somewhat lose itself in the middle the other ones kind of keep the focus throughout the entire time <laughs> <Let's> say something <laughs> i mean i mean you're not wrong i agree like, with even you. the boxing one was like insane um I, but i do love the practical effects there's even some tokyo fist effects in this when they're doing the boxing scene and the guy gets punched and he has that like unnatural david lynch-esque like bubbling yeah. his face before he falls now i down. think if i'm not mistaken Tokyo Fist is based on a manga or an anime, one of the two. And I think Tetsuo the Iron Man is also an anime, but I'm not 100% on or like a manga or something like that. So I think or what came first? It could they his stuff could have been the first part. I of don't it. know. Like Japan's a different place than us like in a lot of ways. We give a lot more creative control to our or they give a lot more creative control to the directors of their their art and stuff like that and there's a lot more acceptance in creativity and artistry when it comes to or like taking an idea that exists and doing something with it that's completely unconventional to how you would expect it to be done but instead of alienating the fans they just kind of are like that's that was good i enjoyed that like it was unique and different but still kind of wrapped itself around Right, that's like all the Shin right. movies, which he's in Shin Cayman uh, Rider. He has some no, role he's not, in that is he? because that's he's amazing. a huge actor. He, yeah, he he is in it. And bef- before we got on the podcast, like he's worked with uh, Martin Scorsese. Chuck said on Silence, but yeah, I, I have to rewatch it know, and figure out where he's at. I don't know which character he played. That's great. 
he he's a big actor too. He like he's been in a lot of other people's work without uh having anything to do as a director, but he has this very like it reminds me of the the music videos that I love from the 90s. Right. Right. Is is really what this it's feels exactly like. Exactly what it feels like. Uh, my first experience with this director previous to watching him in college I used to go to Shadow Play. It was a goth night in Hal- Halifax in Nova Scotia. And it was like... You never went to oh, goth, go to goth nights all the time. <laughs> and uh, we were there in the club, and they had a screen, and they would run stuff on the screen. And when I was in there this time, they were running Tetsuo the Iron Man, and it was the scene where he's in the bathtub with the like penis drill and all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know... <laughs> staring at this with my friends and i'm like what the fuck is that it's tetsuo the iron man and i'm like i have no idea what that is and i was like what's tetsuo means iron man so it's iron man the iron man (laughs) right and and i'm not able to hear the film i'm just in a goth club and all you have is this like heavy industrial music just like around it and i was like i gotta see this you know what really makes me think of a goth club the opening scene for Tokyo Fist, which I sent you guys a clip. It's the most amazing thing in the world. But when they cut to the very first image and it's like five people, no, more than that, probably like 11 people in this boxing ring and they're all facing different directions, just like punching as fast <laughs> as they can. It reminds me of the uh, videos that you see online of all the goth people dancing <laughs> under the bridge to, you know, Mariah the Carey techno or Viking. Mix and do it. This movie is missing that. If this movie needs that. Well, he's good at bringing those. Like, when I finally saw the movie, he brings those industrial themes right into with the music with the movie. So I was like, it doesn't even seem like I'm missing the club at this point. Like, it's all there. And I, I love that he uses that, like, heavy industrial. Like, it sounds like people standing in, like, a literal steel mill and just, like, smacking an anvil as hard as they can with metal pipes and shit like that. Like, that's how most of the music for his films are. And uh, Trent Reznor is heavily influenced by him as well. And if when you're talking about Tetsuo the Bullet Man, I know Reznor did the soundtrack for that for sure. I don't remember if he was also... Didn't they work together on yeah, something? Yeah, they did. They've worked together before. So they have that. They made a music video together. Well, there is that video for Slave, Slave Scream that was banned where it's the guy on the it's all black and white and the guy's laying on the table and the machines are coming out and like manipulating him till he's eventually ground into meat so he might have been involved in that because it feels just like one of his pieces <laughs> but i'm not 100 percent on that have yeah. you ever seen that video i wish this had more of the body horror in it like i've only seen the tetsu movies and i didn't watch the rest i have that set that arrow came out with last year or the year before which is like eight of his movies so i'm um, the halfway point i got four more to go and even like the beginning of tetsu where the the machine guy is pushing that metal pipe into his yeah. leg and you're thinking like oh yeah this is where it starts and it cuts to him running down the street like screaming like holy shit this <laughs> hurts and it's such like a a jarring comedic moment right for who's essentially the villain of of the entire movie. It was like, this is a bad idea. This is a terrible idea. Why so he made this? this one in 98. Bullet Ballet is very much his most grounded in reality, I think, out of all of his films so far. I haven't seen... We have the bullets. Where, were the, where was the ballet? The act of getting the gun 
the gun itself, the use of the gun, it's a beautiful dance. You gotta incorporate the two. It's a bullet ballet. I like all the different salespeople he went to, and the one guy that's like completely in English. Yeah, that was interesting. Screaming, I won't sell you a gun. <laughs> like, keep your voice down, American. The guy who rips him off, and then you find out later the guy who rips him off is like a hitman or something like that, too. Or he shows up at the end of the film, and he's like hunting them down the, the kids or something like that. That's the father of the boxer. Oh, okay. All right. That's the one they shot, then. Okay. I just like another one of my favorite scenes in this is when the prostitute comes to him and it's like, I'm going to need your help. See, there are two gangs. And he's like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She doesn't even, she doesn't even finish what she needs. He's like, I'm going to shoot somebody. I get to use my gun. Gangs. Hell yeah. She's an interesting character where she's like essentially just bored of everything. And then this guy shows up. She's more intrigued with, the determination that comes from him and like the 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 fact that he's just so gone and so obsessed with this weapon the weapon itself intrigues her and like she gets like turned on it seems like with him but then they actually have no kind of sexual relationship it seems like they have like if you're in a Sukamoto film you're going to get turned on by right something and it's not going to be normal. But she's an interesting character. I just, I don't really know what her place in the film is either. Like, she's just kind of there in a lot of ways, just being weird and making she, faces. She's their manic pixie dream girl. That's exactly what she is. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. 100%. Yes. Chuck's yeah, figured it all out. I know what's going on. Maybe a representation of some sort of grief. I don't know. She's wants to kill herself it's like yeah i don't I don't know if she's like supposed to represent like the girlfriend that he didn't save or something like that yeah the, the women in this are all weird because the first one you don't see it's his fiance that killed herself and then that goes unresolved they never answer the like what he initially went out there to find they never go there then there's this girl the prostitute uh but when he gets the actual gun this is that a third lady that's just like, I've been watching you and uh, I'll, I'll marry you and I can get you a gun. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell's happening? Is she even real? I think she is, but it seemed very unrealistic. I mean, I guess besides a foreigner being like, listen, I want to be a part of Japan and uh, I, I can hook you up with a gun. These movies are interesting because there's a lot of like, he's an incredibly masculine director, but then at the same time, even though they're all very masculine films and very male driven in their subject matter and what have you. They also kind of have like a underlined negativity to it. Like it's not like engaging in the behaviors that are presented in his films are ever presented in a positive light. Like the gun stuff is not presented. It's more like a madness. It's more like a a manic episode in a lot of ways. Like there's not a lot of like, grounding to his behaviors or any of that kind of stuff and the same with like tokyo fest and all that other stuff like they're just very male-centric films that are not really it's like they're not really for women but i also think that's a, a symptom of the society that he comes from too so like he's a very japanese director like i think he might be one of the mo- most japanese directors like we've covered like his hand his eye on 
the culture and the society. Because this movie is, like I said before, like this is a very Japanese film. And he touches on some very deep, like, Japanese cultural stuff all throughout the movie. The strongest female character, I think, in of the five movies of his I saw was Tokyo Fist, where there's this... She's kind of an object to the main character, but uh, that's also why she leaves him. She leaves him very early on, because she's just, like, she sees him as, as weak and she doesn't see he doesn't see her as a person so they really do add a lot of depth to this person like flesh her out as a human being as opposed to everything else before that they're very very Yeah, his movies don't pass the bechdel test like at all (laughs) you and the bechdel test you've got to acknowledge the importance of the bechdel test there's a new test I can't remember the name of it, but it's something else. I might start talking about that too later. <sighs> there was something I saw the other day. They were like talking about Puss in Boots, and they're like, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> it's just like, I don't think it does. I mean, there's no reason it doesn't. You shouldn't have a reason it doesn't. Just have two ladies talk to each other for five minutes. It's all you fucking need. Ain't that hard. But then again, like, you know, some movies. I've seen some stuff, and I'm like, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but I don't think it. You could tell the story without it. I think this might be one of those kind of movies. I don't really think passing the Bechdel test is as important as showing. Because these are very... You brought it up. It's important it is important to, to me. But uh, it also, we were just talking about how male-centric his films are in general. He, like I said, there's a lot of culture in this movie that's really interesting. Like the street gangs are are really common there but they're always like young kids same thing like i don't want to be a salary man and i don't want this and i don't want that but then like they all become salary men at some point and they all give it up and there's like a whole culture on that especially when you get into like the bozo suku gangs and stuff like that and what have you there's like some point everybody their gangs are so funny because they're like the <laughs> 1950s greece right it's gangs they're not and their Yakuza is really interesting. Yakuza is so different than like the mafia in like so many different ways and all that kind of stuff. I think stuff. I enjoyed out of the gang when I, I think it doesn't like really hit like how young they're supposed to be uh, until the final shootout when the, the one guy with glasses, like all the lights go out and his, and his phone rings and he's like, he's like, oh God. And he's like trying to turn his phone off. And then, you know, when he picks it up, he's like, mom, I'm not going to be home for dinner <laughs> right before he gets shot by that guy. I love that character. He was such a weirdo. It's like in the middle of a gang fight, and he's on the phone. He's like, "Yeah, we're beating these people's asses." He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does the yeah, early. Yeah. You're thinking they're like in their twenties or something when you see them. Yeah, I think they're probably oldest, like seventeen, eighteen. Like, I think they are just street kids. I mean, the one guy's a salary man, so he's got to be over eighteen. He had to have graduated. Probably at the most, their twenties. And then the character that we're following, the main character, he's an older man. So he's at that point in his life where he's had so much, what have you, like happen to him that he's broken. And he's that other side of like Japanese culture where the culture got to him. Because everybody's like, why wouldn't you get married after being with her for 10 years? And she's, he's like, she didn't want to. And it's like, that's really uncommon there. Like people get married like pretty quickly and, you know, work jobs. And- no, it's becoming... It's becoming the opposite of that. It is, with the hikikomaris and stuff. It's getting kind of bleak. It's becoming like a sexless society, and 
their their numbers are dwindling a little yeah. bit too. They're having huge problems with it. The Hikikomori stuff's getting out of hand. They they're not sure what to do about it or how to handle it. Which I think it seems pretty obvious that the solution to it, but Which is what? Well, what is that? Your culture is uptight and it's locked down and it's oppressive and it's an oppressive culture in a lot of ways. And we we as outsiders we see a lot of great things about it because we don't live in that environment. We're not part of that environment, but like it's incredibly racist. They, they maintain like very high levels of like, they don't like outsiders. They don't want any of that. And there's a culture around not interbreeding or bringing other like social stuff into Cause they always want to maintain like that natural original kind of Japanese way of being. It's, and that's what that means, what you were saying? With what? The change. What was the word you were saying? What did I say? I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what he said, Chuck? Uh, I mean, I couldn't repeat it because it just sounded like, yeah, that's that's what Justin's talking about. Oh. Yeah, what's that mean? are people who don't leave their house. They're kind of like, they're not like hoarders. They're, they're, um, their, their society has built themselves in a way that allows people to live in their homes and not leave, like, kind of similar to what we got going on here now with like postmates and all that kind of stuff. So with a culture designed around not having to leave your home and everything being like instant, what have you, it's really easy to not leave your house to not go out and be part of society and still live and function. Yeah. But culturally that behavior is not regarded well or looked down on because the Japanese culture is very much like you do it for the empire. You do it for the, the the country. Like everybody works for the country. Everybody engages in these behaviors for the country. Like, so being healthy and fit isn't just something for yourself, but it's also for everyone. And it's something that when you don't engage in, then socially, like they have a lot more, social cues they have to think about like there's a reason that nobody steals people's umbrellas when they leave them outside of a store or jacks people's bikes or any of that kind of stuff they did they jacked my umbrella you when told i was me that. That's, that's such a strange thing to have happen because like that's the whole point is like they that doesn't normally happen and that kind of stuff i mean it was probably a foreigner but it was jacked. They, they tow people's cars then the police go over to the ground and write like with chalk on the ground like where their car is, how everything went, and they apologize for doing it, but also say like, don't do that again, don't park it there, but they also apologize. Like there's a lot of apologizing and a lot of like that kind of stuff, and it can it can be grating. They're very polite, it's a very polite society. The younger generation is kind of the one that's pushing against like what's tradition, and I didn't know necessarily about the recluse type of people that were over there, but I know there's a huge section of people that they're just not interested in relationships because they're more focused on video games yeah. or AI or something like that. Like they would, like over there, even like the biggest thing is probably the mobile yeah. games. They're like obsessed with it. It's like a, it's it's almost more important than like you see all the stuff advertised here in America. I've never really caught anybody playing like, you know, Candy <laughs> Crush, Vikings, or whatever the shit that is. Well, Candy Crush, yeah, but they'll get into these really obscure oh, yeah. like RPG League of Legends is huge games. over there, and 
that type of well, I know that one, but that type of stuff, though they obsess over it and and they'll build a community around that, and that is all that they they care about. So maybe, I mean, this is a lot. This is almost thirty years ago, though this movie's taking place, which means it would have been stricter in a lot of ways. It would have been a tighter society in that realm because it really makes me think of like the that MTV like fuck the generation before me feeling in right. this movie all of this movie so far he's not happy with the with the regression and he's definitely finds an obsession in, in like breaking out of the Well system. they're incredibly sexually repressed as a country in a lot of ways like even though they have like really kinky weird porn and shit like culturally they're very repressed in a lot of ways so they're not a sexually liberated country and so a lot of artists and things like that will like this guy push those kind of like feelings and mediums yes there's stuff like the stuff's still illegal to show they can't show certain i mean you can't have tattoos in japan in 2023 if you have tattoos you're thought of as yakuza and even you can have tattoos but a lot of businesses might right so businesses will refuse you so it's like when you think about those factors i mean we have certain attitudes like that here but comparatively we're a much i hate to keep i think you did the wrong movie you needed to do tokyo fist because in tokyo fist his girl gets a tattoo and he grabs her arm and he's like come on we're gonna go get this surgically removed they'll take the skin off my butt (laughs) (laughs) and they'll replace it replace your arm tattoo with it and she's like i don't want your butt skin like there's a literal lines from this movie um but yeah the (laughs) tattoos the lack of guns. The, the lack of social diversity. It um, shuts people down. And then on top of that, six-day work weeks. There's not well, a lot of time off You think to about yourself. it, too. It's like it's it's more than just the violence. It's like there's no kind of reaction to anything. And the guy gets pushed farther than he's ever been pushed before. And I feel like he's in a society where he's he has to use violence to feel something i'm not saying it's the right thing obviously it's not the right thing well, to do but when people aren't shown any sort of emotion he's left with the impression it's how he's that the gun is going to be the factor that's going to empower him and give him the ability to break free of all of that stuff because the gun is going to give it does give him it power. does and it's exactly what he wants and even though it doesn't go exactly the way he anticipates the physical gun itself gives him the motivation and the ability to find himself and the ability to go out again and have those interactions with people, even though it's a bit weird. He's pretty slick with that gun too. I love the way he shoots people. So it was like dead on, on their body and like (laughs) pretty accurate. Like when he shoots them in the leg and stuff like that, I'm like, damn dude, you're like quick. He's, he's so fast. Uh, Well, he probably adds the slightest bit of realism there where, we're used to these action movies where people will just constantly never get hit with bullets when they're flying all over the right. place. So this guy's like, I'm at close range. I'm guaranteed I'm going to shoot well, see, them. see, you think about that. Might as well, might as well get <laughs> If somebody movies. told you that we're going to watch a movie called Bullet Ballet in the United States, your first thought process would be like, this movie is going to be like Guns Akimbo, like standing in the middle of rooms, like spinning around, like 
gun-fooing the fuck out of things. There's just going to be bullets everywhere, like shit flying. I honestly would have thought that it was about a, like a documentary about gun violence in schools or something. That's what I would imagine. <laughs> that would be interesting. The gun in this movie, I think it's a 30, 35 38. millimeter. 38? Yeah. It's not a very big bullet either. I mean, that's enough to stop somebody. It's a mafia gun kind of thing. But it's it's like, that's a fairly large gun for there. It stands out. It looks, it looks like, oh, fuck. Because that's a that's bigger gun than the cops use. Because the cops have those little 22s. It's a pretty simple film, too. I mean, we've pretty much covered the majority of it. Like, it really is a guy who lost his wife, or we don't know what, at girlfriend, and just wants a gun and gets the gun and there's a street gang and the street gang is just kind of doing their own thing. If you can't get the girl, <laughs> right. get the gun. And there's a weird manic pixie dream girl who doesn't really offer anything to the story or do anything other than being there. Yeah, that was, no, that's Chuck's biggest contribution. He pointed out yeah. exactly right. who she is. The thing with this movie is I recommend you watch it because it's visually a very interesting film to watch. And this director's, all of his films are very interesting films to watch. They're never dialogue heavy. I mean, I think Tetsuo has like three lines total in the whole movie. Like it's mostly a visual film and most of his movies are very visually driven. So if you're, if you're blind, this isn't for you. Wow, great. <laughs> I mean, they are, though. They're very visual. If you're listening to the podcast because you can only hear, uh, Look, we don't recommend it and trying to watch any of the blind, movies that you Blind people see. watch movies all the time. You'd be surprised. I honestly think if you're blind, any sort of blindness, this would probably still be a very interesting movie because of the sound design alone. It's an interesting sound design for sure. Although it might make you like really desire what the hell is happening the moment that you talked about with the gun clicking in his like mind and the like nuclear explosions yeah. going off whenever the gun, like you just hear click. Poof, click yeah. Poof, you're like a bombs. <laughs> like what the hell's happening? It's like, I like that, that scene too. Like, cause I just like, I picture it in my head. I'm like, he thinks when he fires this gun, it's just going to be like, Badoom! like it's just going to be this huge explosion <laughs> of like, it's like such an overcomplicated gun. I like how blocky it is too. Like, when he brings it out in the car and he's like aiming it. Yeah. It's just like the, the raw power that he feels the gun's going to allow to him. Like the fact that when he pulls that trigger that he feels like atom bombs are going to shoot out the tip of this gun and like devastate the world. And that when he carries the gun and has the gun on him, that he will be the most powerful and destructive force. You know, and in not this movie, but like the Tetsu movies, it does feel a lot like Cronenberg's Videodrome, where it might be more Tetsu 2, but I think it happens in Tetsu 1 also. They have people's hands that turn into guns. Yeah. It's very much like the flesh handgun from Videodrome. His body horror is top tier. If you ever want body horror... He's like a Japanese Cronenberg. You picked the you picked like the one with like the least amount of body horror. Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that I own this movie and I've owned it for years and I'm a huge fan of it. I really didn't know it was the same director, and so when it was like pick a movie, I was like I'm gonna pick a movie that I'm sure they probably don't know anything about, and I was like I'm gonna go with the Japanese director, and I watch a lot of these like black and white 
disjointed, like all over the place, Japanese and Korean and Chinese films. Like it's a big thing for me. Like this is my kind of my jam. So I thought I was going into this and you guys like, Oh, it's my box set. And I was like, ah, like, like I was a little like disappointed because and then I and then you were I was like oh it's the same director you were like we're not gonna pick it I'm like pick it we still didn't watch it yet that's our biggest flaw is like physical media people as we buy these sets and then get so damn busy we don't watch anything but you inadvertently it. taught me that it was the same director so this time going into it even though I've seen this movie like more than once knowing that it was the same director I was like how did I not realize that like it's a hundred percent his style like all that kind of thing so yeah you are you the style and tone is right exactly the so same. i should have known but i just didn't put two and two together and i just didn't think about it. another one i thought about doing was versus it's one of another one of my favorite movies that one and uh electric dragon eighty thousand volts that was my other choice which i'll come back to those the, the the Sukamoto set, Chuck. Did you watch any of the other movies besides the I just watched the, movies? Nah, the I just watched Tetsuo one and two, and then this so far. Oh, well, Denchu Coco is the like predecessor of it. It it's okay, but definitely watch Tokyo Fist, and I'll watch yeah. the other ones after this. But I I just kind of caught up chronologically where I was, I guess, because the set. The set made me watch the first Tetsu movies and then that Denchu Ko- Koku movie. Yeah, I think that one's Kozu just like considered an extra. Because, and then that, yeah, and it was yeah. actually before the other two. Maybe they didn't want to turn you off because it wasn't as good as Tetsu. It hurts my soul deep inside that I don't own that box set. I wanted that box set so It's available. Bad. It's not out of Is print it? or like When it first came out, it was sold out like immediately, and I couldn't get my hands on it, and I wasn't about to pay like $400 for it because I'm like, that's not I'm not paying it. I think you can buy it on Amazon for like $80. That's reasonable. Um, I feel like it's $100 normally, and when I ordered it, I don't remember what it was, $60 or something, $50. You can get it right now on Amazon for fifty nine ninety nine. Really? I might have to go grab that, like, immediately after we get off of this. That's probably the price. I think that that's I, what we I paid for it, because, yeah, so, we both yeah, ordered it at the same time. Yeah, I really want that. I, yeah, and I think it was, it was, I've, I've been buying things. I think, we, yeah, that's where we got it DVD. from. And uh, usually the prices are pretty good there, and even if they're, Amazon like beats the price by a little bit. I do feel better, you know, spending money with them as opposed to Amazon. Like this director and Harmony Corrin, those are like my two most influential. That them and like Darren Aronofsky. If you put the three of them together, like that's my that's my jam right there. Which which in a lot of ways, Darren Aronofsky has a lot of like crossover with both of those kind of directors too. Like he's always dabbled in that strange realm. I mean, if, when you look at Pi, Pi is an interesting film. That's a movie I want to talk about at some point. But it's one of my favorite movies, that, just like the, the way it's done and the weird black and white and whatever. And it, it had that quality about it, like a lot of these Japanese movies I was getting into at this time. You you should watch the Battle for Humanity um, series. Did you watch any of those, the Jap- Japanese movies? No, I'm not movies? familiar with that. They are all based on real-life Yakuza events. Oh, okay. But like it is also it is also rapid fire. Like I think I watched eight movies, and in in each movie, like twenty characters die. 
to the point that like it's so hard to keep up with who's who's killing who. It's just like this gang annihilates that gang and that gang annihilates this gang. And it's like very specific dates. It'll just jump to like, you know, July yeah. 2nd, 1968. And it's just these people will just come out and start <laughs> shooting up. Some I'd gang. watch that. And then they're like, so, yeah, it's, it's like Japanese it's, uh, Sopranos. It's basically <laughs> it's the Japan. It's the Japanese uh, Godfather, yeah. I guess. It's the same equivalent of these real life based off of these like real life people and events and stuff but the style is not exactly sugimoto but it is a faster paced series fortunately sure. most of my yakuza film stuff all comes from takashi Mike. like a lot of it his uh dead or alive series and then he's got goru and things like that he's probably what maybe the most um commercial director For sure. there I couldn't imagine being him. He's got like over, well, like almost 400 films under his belt, a bunch of TV series. He's the Woody Allen He's of He's got Japan. like a ton of video games. He made, did you know about his Magical Girl series? He made a like, yeah, he made a mm-hmm. Magical Girl TV series. It's like, you know, like Sailor Moon type stuff. I don't, I don't and, and it's incredibly he, successful. He does like a lot of great movies. He does a lot of great movies, but he's also done a lot of, I think, kind of just okay i mean have you ever seen the happiness of the katakuras his musical that is Mm -hmm. one of the greatest movies i have ever seen this is such a great movie you think oh absolutely absolutely because you don't realize it's a musical until you're halfway into the film and then it just like becomes a musical out of the blue and you're like what the fuck and it's takashi Miike. that's kind of rude so like it's like what type of movie do you think you're watching before it becomes a musical? You think you're watching a movie about a family who's running a hotel and then they find a dead body and then it becomes a, a you're musical. Like, this dead body story turned yeah. into a musical. He's got, I was and there's like visitor Q, which I don't even know what that is other than just an excuse to be gross. All of his movies are an excuse to be gross. Full metal Yakuza. Oh, he did audition. Yeah. Audition is him. 100%. That's just probably one of the most disturbing films. I think that films. might be one of his best movies. Then sequences. Like, that movie's like an hour of boring and then like one of the most gruesome sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't think it's boring. I think that's one of his best movies. That thing that he did with Tarantino was yeah, terrible. Yeah, it was. It um, was really bad. <laughs> the, wet, the weird western. Sukiyaki. The, yeah, that was not no. a good movie at all. Hey. You make as many movies as him, they are not all hits. I mean, the Dead or Alive series goes way off the rails when it gets to the future and all that stuff. That's how I feel. If you're making a movie a year, I mean, every five years, you better have at least a good one, right? Which, Even though he's got some, like, misses, he has more hits than misses. And literally, the guy has been working since, like, what, 98 when he started? Yeah, like, I still never watched his Hurricane. It is a remake, I think, right? Yeah, it's or a remake. It just- I mean, use the title. Could you imagine making 400 movies in 20 years and TV shows and video games? Oh, that'd be great. I, I just would like, love I, that. I don't know how the man finds the time for it. He must never sleep. I saw Hideo Kojima's making a movie finally. Interesting. I would watch that. I mean, he's pretty much made movies his entire career. He calls them video games, but they're pretty much movies. I could not get into Death Stranding. It was the most Artur game I've ever played in my entire life. It's just a, it's just ahead of your time. No. That's all. No, I wasn't here for all the product placement or either. Hey, when people had Metal Gear, they were the same. What the fuck is this game? Metal Gear was brilliant. 
Why am I hiding? Why am I, I hiding from everything? I love that game. I don't know why I'm carrying around a fetus and pounding monster while walking around with boxes of shit on my back. Running away from black goo. <laughs> why is Guillermo del Toro in this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why am I Daryl from The Walking Dead? Uh, does this guy still direct? Do we, does he still make stuff? Or I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he does. I mean, I don't know what his most current movie is, but I thought that he was making something that they were like, he did this movie in like 2017 and 2018. So even if it's, even if it's five years ago was his last movie, I'd still say he's pretty okay. current. I'd watch that. I'd watch anything this guy makes. I'll always take a look at his work. I mean, he might be past his, his prime. That's I possible. Know. I mean, he started out very experimental. Well, you get like Jean, Jean Luc Godard. He did, um, all these movies in the 60s were like his best movies and then maybe one or two after that was like anyone remotely cared about. Right. He was a big like fuck the system guy and then and then he's like I, I would just rather be dead <laughs> than make more movies. I don't know. This is a guy I could spend like an entire I could watch all of his movies and discuss each one individually and just go into all of it. Does uh, Dark Charles there, does he have any final I was wondering that too. Or anything about the director? He's quiet and he's My totally no dark. He, he's lit just like one of his movies. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for there. there. There you go. You just want to see kind of one lens so, yeah. and a. It's like and an everything Ecto-1. black and then this blown out Ecto one in the corner. It's <laughs> perfect. So, so Lego, Lego yeah. is his obsession. It's what I'm touching myself you, to. How do you feel about this director? Are you are you are you down with him? Do you uh, want to see more? Yeah, I. I know I, you have. I keep meaning to watch more. I I watch the like I said I watched the first two Tetsuo movies and and this and yeah I've enjoyed all all three of them so far so. Yeah, I just need to just need to get more get more in there. His movies are all very short. I mean, I don't yeah, I don't think any of them's longer than ninety minutes. He just Tetsuo is an, he, he does a have a very fast film. style. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 very he doesn't he doesn't over uh, overstay his welcome with the with these films for sure. He definitely like gets in and gets out with with whatever his point is in these. So they're definitely easy to easy enough to get through. I definitely think this was one of his longer films and it was only 87 minutes. <laughs> it was the longest yeah. one that I watched. I think he was like hour 23 or something like that. So he's not too much longer. This is what I want from movies. I just want it to be like an hour and like 15 minutes of just like the most batshit insane things I've ever seen. And then I'm left going, wow, <laughs> that was crazy. I don't mind long movies. It it just matters how they use exactly. their pacing and tell the story. If you get pulled out of it, you get pulled out of it, and that's yeah. the problem. So we're taking a week off, and then we're moving into a takeover. What is your takeover going to be, Lexi? I'm making us talk about YouTubers who make who've made movies and YouTube itself in its kind of influence on not influence on but how youtube handles and deals with film as a whole oh i hope it's a good i hope it's a good choice this is probably something i've been the least excited about i think it's important to understand like even though we're all old people like we should understand like 
the growth of the entertainment medium. Only one. Yeah, whoa. Yeah. You. Me and Chuck are young. Yeah, whoa. I'm so, so, I'm Chuck's so sorry. a baby. I forgot I'm the only one that's 40 here. What are you, 30? Chuck's almost like a whole 10 years younger than no, you. No, he's not. Isn't he like the... I think he is. He's he's 31 yep. or 32 or something. Yeah, okay. He's the same age as my fiance. <laughs> I am. Cradle robber. <laughs> Rocker, right? I mean... Don't hate the player, hate the game. That's an old something an old person would say. That's my time period. <laughs> it's just a bunch of old yet, old person. Yeah, despite me being the old person, I'm the one suggesting we talk about YouTube. Yeah, because you're trying to be hit. I spend more time watching YouTube than anything. YouTube is like my main thing that I watch. But it's just you know what I like about it is I like that they have like short form content. <laughs> like super short form, like like thirteen to five minute stuff. So it's like I'm like save it for the YouTube episode. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna talk, talk about YouTube. About YouTube for but no, I'm just like, <laughs> you know, it's not it short what form. Is. is this episode? Oh, <laughs> you know, it's not short form. How much I'm talking right now? <laughs> Chuck's over here shutting me down. He's like, we're done. Let's get this fucking show on the road. Oh. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Lexi. Are we done, Chuck? <laughs> end it. You can end oh, it. Oh, you want Lexi, me to end it? Fine. All right. Yeah, and I'll say Thank bye. you so much for listening. Tune in next month when we discuss YouTube. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.